Thank you for checking out our podcast here at Eastern Assembly of God Church in Baltimore, Maryland. If you'd like more information about our church, you can find us at www.easternassembly.org. Amen. So we got some people to baptize today. So we're going to we're going to preach and 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 l- listen, we we have I don't know, 10 or so people to be baptized less than we normally do because we've kind of it's been a little different season, but nonetheless, would you stick it out to the end? Because baptism is like the nurseries being filled. Come on, somebody. It's just really important. And so stay and rejoice with us. I'm not going to be long this morning. We are on a series, Values for Life. And the things that you value are the things that you live your life out of. In other words, you can say you believe something, but I can watch how you live and know what you really value. Your kids know what you value because they see how you live your life. And this, the, this morning, I want to talk to you as a value, the importance of church. How much of a value is that to you? Now, it's been interesting over the years. So I've been in ministry about 36 years. So, so I've covered quite a span. I mean, when I went into ministry, uh, when I began this, I mean, we had church Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, Wednesday nights, and I mean, you were expected, if you're a believer, you were expected to be there. And people rearranged their schedules and made it a priority, the house of God. If you haven't noticed, that's changing. Look at statistics. The average committed Christian statistics tell us, and this was before COVID. I know COVID has messed with things a lot. Before COVID, the average Christian now attends church twice a month. What has happened? Well, if church no longer has the priority that it once held, then that means other priorities have to be working their way in. Which means if, if Jesus and the things of God aren't first, but they fall into second or third or fourth, come on, somebody say not good. Come on, somebody, Jesus has to be first. Are you, are you listening this morning? So, so just hear me out this morning, all right? Somebody say church is essential. And I propose to you, that there is a direct link between people's commitment to Jesus Christ and their commitment to a local church. I'm going to try this side. I propose to you, and I'm going to prove it as we look through the Bible, that there is a direct link between how committed someone is to Jesus and how committed they are to a local church. So, so let's begin our journey, and I want to I take us through the Old Testament and then the New Testament. And what we're kind of looking at is, you know, what does God think about gathering? What is in God's heart? Is God's heart more towards you as an individual, or is his heart really for us as a group? That's not to say God doesn't care about you individually. Of course he does. How many are glad God is an individual God in the sense he cares about your need? The hairs on your head are numbered. But there's also part, this part about God, that God is a God of community. And he knows that we can do better together. So turn the pages back to the Old Testament. You don't have to literally turn your Bible, but just in your mind. So we're back in the Old Testament, and there God gives to Moses the plans for the tabernacle. And he tells them not just how to elaborately build it, but he also tells them where he wants the tabernacle placed. He wants the tabernacle placed in the very center of the Jewish community. Three tribes on each side around the tabernacle. Now, why do you think the tabernacle is to be put in the middle of the people? Because it's to be the, somebody say center. 
Yeah, the, the centerpiece. It was the most important part. And what I noticed in the Old Testament as you read it is this. Whenever Israel was backslidden and away from God, they neglected corporate gatherings and also neglected the tabernacle. The tabernacle begins to fall apart. Things begin to go wrong. And I also notice whenever there was a move of God in Israel or among the Jews, they began repairing the tabernacle and meeting together became a priority. Give you one example, all right? There's many times when this happened in the Old Testament. Give you one example. Many of you know that the Israelites um, over time backslid and God allowed them to be taken into captivity uh, ultimately by the Babylonians and they were there for, anybody know how many years? 70 years and a king by the name of Cyrus decreed that they were allowed to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the tabernacle and about 50,000 Jews left Babylon and headed for Israel. So they get to Israel and they began rebuilding their homes and reestablishing their businesses and kind of forgot about the big reason God allowed them to return and that was to rebuild the tabernacle. And God raised up a prophet by the name of Haggai and here's what he said to the people. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now, I don't, I don't think it was that the fact that God expected them to live without a covering over their head. That wasn't the issue. The issue was that all of their attention and their main priority was themselves. Are you listening this morning? How many people in today's world? Oh, pastor, I have a personal relationship with Jesus. I can get on my phone and listen to any preacher in the world, and, and I'm good. I don't really need church. Okay, that's what you say. What does God say? Because at the end of the day, now you can think I have a biased opinion because I'm a pastor, um, but I dare any of you to look in this Bible and not come to the conclusion that God wants us to gather, God wants us to worship, and God wants us to work together to do what none of us could do in and of ourselves. Come on, somebody. If you believe that this morning, say amen. So Haggai tells them, and then he says, now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. That's a good word for all of us. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but you never have, help me. You drink, but you never have your, you put on clothes, but you are not. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. In other words, God was not blessing the people because their priorities were out of order. Now, if you've got a purse with holes in it and you're putting money in the purse and there's holes in the bottom and the money's coming out the bottom, how many know you're not getting ahead? And God's like, look, your priorities are out of order, so I'm not going to bless you. And then verses 7 and 8, he says this. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring down timber and build the house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. And guess what the people did? They did it. Now, sometimes in the Old Testament, prophets would say things and the people were like, ah, but in this case, the people actually listened to Haggai. They put a pause on their own houses or less priority to them, and they gathered and began to build. And you know what God replied? God says, I'm going to bless you now because your priorities are in order. You're honoring me. Come on, somebody. Amen? How many of you in the house want God to bless you? Everybody doesn't want God to bless you. Okay, listen. It's so simple. Jesus said it this way. Seek, what's the next word? 
Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things. What are the things? Food, clothing, provision, the things we need to function on this earth. How many know it's easy to make that a priority and give God what's left? God says, no, you make me a priority and see if I don't take care of you. Amen? How many of you found that to be true in the room, man? Maybe it wasn't easy to get those priorities in order, but what you did, you found out that God keeps his promise. So move from the Old Testament to the New now. Now we know there's no longer a tabernacle because Jesus once and for all sacrificed himself as the covering for our sins. But then the, then the church was birthed. Then notice in Ephesians, I want, you to, I want to read through this, and I want you to notice uh, what Paul says, how much of it has to do with us as a body over just individuality. He says this, For through him we, that means him and the church in Ephesus, both have access to the Father by the Spirit. Consequently, we are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people. Now, if you're a citizen of something, that means you belong to a, say, country. Yeah, in this case, we belong to God's country. You know what I mean? It's like God's household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building. What does God compare us to? We are a like a building, okay? Come on, how do you know if I give you a brick, it's like, well, thanks. What do you want me to do with this, paperweight? But how do you know if we put all our bricks together, it can, look, it can look pretty nice. We can build something. And God compares the church to a, to a building. Uh, we may not feel like a lot in and of ourselves, but when we put it all together, it becomes something beautiful. It rises to become a holy temple to the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God loves, lives by his spirit. Now, in this case, he's not talking about you yourself being a dwelling. He's talking about us being a dwelling. In other words, I can move through you corporate to do things that, that I couldn't do if you were all just in this for yourselves. If you're still with me, say amen. Yeah, I can preach a message like this on Pastor Appreciation Day because you still got to love me at the end of the day. Come on, somebody. Amen. All right, now, so... Let's move now to the birth of the church. The birth of the church, the birthday of the church is the day of Pentecost. Well, the day of Pentecost, 120 believers, we believe we're in the upper room. They get baptized in the Holy Spirit, a large crowd. Now, why was there a large crowd in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost? Because it was a Jewish feast day. So people came from all over the place, flooded into Jerusalem to be part of the Jewish day of Pentecost. So there they gather because of the great noise that's created when these believers are speaking in other tongues, this crowd gathers, Peter preaches, and how many people received Jesus that day? 3,000. Now think about this. Many of those 3,000 did not live in Jerusalem. They lived in cities outside of Jerusalem, but decided to stay in Jerusalem because they wanted to grow in their faith. Brand new believers. No churches anywhere else. This was the only church, so they said, you know what, we need to stay here. So here's the problem. Let's say you could afford to spend two days in Jerusalem, so you buy a hotel for two days, and now you're going to stay another 60. Where do you stay? What do you eat? Well, the Bible tells us how it works out, and this is what it says in Acts 2. They devoted themselves. This is talking about that group of 3,000. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as they had need. How was that large group able to stay there? 
Yeah, they shared. People who had, uh, who had things to sell, they sold them so that the group could prosper. Every day, say every day. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. How do you go from every day to once or twice a month? Well, it got quiet in here. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of the people. And here's what God did because these people had their priorities order. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I mean, this thing's growing and growing, and God is at work. Come on, somebody. Can anyone deny that these people were incredibly devoted to Jesus and to each other? Nobody can deny that. It's right there, right? So, so, so here's my concern, and one of the reasons I'm preaching this today. Now, for those of you who are in your 50s, 60s, 70s, you came out of a culture where, I mean, it was embedded in you. Church is essential. But my concern in today's culture is for the kids. Because if they're watching their parents where the things of God are at three, four, five, or 10, what's it gonna be when they grow up? Matter of fact, I ran across a quote this morning. I had to write it sideways on my notes here because I didn't have room to put it, so I'm gonna read it sideways. But I thought it was so good. And here's what it says. When church is optional for parents, it will usually be absent in the lives of the next generation. I'm going to read that again. When church is optional for parents, what does that mean? Not a priority. If we have time, if nothing else is going on, it will normally be absent in the lives of the next generation. And I don't know about you, but I know about me. The most important thing for my kids is they grow up serving Jesus. Because this world is a mess. Come on, somebody. But I want them serving Jesus, following Jesus. Well, pastor, I don't believe you should have to force your kids. Listen to me. You don't have to force them. Just lead the way. Now, listen, I grew up in a little country church in Pennsylvania. Okay, The church I went to, first of all, was not a gospel-preaching church. They did not preach being born again. Okay? Um, we went every single Sunday. My parents were very committed. We didn't have kids' church. All the kids sat in the main service. What I hoped for, I many times sat next to my grandfather, I hoped he remembered to put candy in his pocket so that during the message I could reach my little hand in his pocket and find some candy, all right? That was, that was my hope. But, but listen, I don't ever remember as a kid being like, why do we have to go to church? It was something we did as a family. It was a priority. You understand? Mom and dad led the way, and guess what? The kids followed that in hopes when we got old enough to make the decision that we would follow the priorities of our family. Can I ask you this question, mom and dad, those of you who are watching online? Do your kids see enough priority about the things of God that it's going to be stamped on their heart? The things of God need to be number one. If not, I'll say like Haggai said, consider your ways. So when you read through the Old Testament, you begin to realize the importance of the church because you begin to see who Paul wrote his letters to. All right, think of, it, think of this. Here it is. Romans 1.7. All right, the book of Romans was written by Paul and it was written to the church at Rome, to all who are Rome, who are loved by God and called to be his saints. That's, that's the church at Rome. All right, how about Corinthians. To the church of God in 
Corinth, all right? How about in, uh, oh, I'm behind. How about in Ephesians? Written to church at Ephesus, Galatians. Galatia was a territory, but it was written to be a circular letter around that region. Philippians to Philippi to Colossians. Uh, when Paul wrote to Timothy, he was the pastor of a church. And Titus, these are, these are workers among churches. The entire New Testament is about Jesus saving people, bringing them into his body so that we together could be what none of us could be in and of ourselves. Come on, somebody. This week, the first week in November, Deb, my secretary, will write out seven or $8,000 worth of missions checks that go all over the world. There's nobody in here that could do that in and of themselves. Reach in a community. That's overwhelming to a person. But together, you get it? Come on. Together, we, we make this beautiful building that God inhabits and he works through. Come on, somebody. The body is a unit, the Bible says. Though it's made up of many parts, and though all of its parts are many, they form one body, so it is with Christ. How many of you in here are car people? You like cars, trucks, you like vehicles, one, three of you. Come on, you're not telling the truth. Come on, some of you, all right, you like your vehicle. All right, if I take your vehicle completely apart and scatter the parts over Dundalk, how valuable is your vehicle? Now, you might be able to get something for the part, but it, it, but put it all together. Turn that key. Now you got something. And God compares us to the human body. He says, some of you in the body are an arm. Some of you are an eye. Some of you are a foot. And if you cut that thing off and it's apart from the body, it finds no value. But together with Jesus as the head, come on, somebody, and him directing the way, we can do together what none of us can do in of ourselves. Are you listening? Well, pastor, I, I think the church needs to do more. Why isn't the church doing this? Or why isn't the church doing that? Maybe the church isn't doing this or that because God has called you to lead the way in that area and you haven't been obedient yet. Come on. Me and the pastoral staff can only do so much. And then we rely on, on what God speaks to you to accomplish. When I was a youth pastor in Indiana, when I graduated from Bible school in Minneapolis, I prayed that God would give me a place of ministry. And God opened the door for me to be a youth pastor in Elkhart, Indiana. And our first youth meeting, we had about 16 teens there. I prayed God would help us to grow, and God began to grow. And next thing you know, there were 50 or 60 teenagers coming. Um, many of those kids didn't have a way to get there. The church had a van. So I said, Pastor, could I just start driving the van and bringing kids to church? He's like, Sure. So Wednesday nights, it began to grow even more. And Wednesday nights, I had two routes. I had a northern Elkhart, Indiana route and a southern. And I'd get in that van about 545. Service was at 7, take me about a half hour. I'd run all over the, the southern part of town, fill up the van, drop them off at church. I had a couple youth leaders. I said, make sure the kids don't burn the church down before I get back here. And uh, then I'd go on a northern route, and I'd go pick up another van full. And then I'd drop them off, have service with them, and take them back home. Now, you'd think... That somebody would see the youth pastor doing that and say, he's going to kill himself. He's gonna, he, you, you can't, you, one person can't do that. But it was more like, look at our youth pastor, man, amazing. Look at him drive, preach. L -l Listen, I, I don't do what I do so you can watch and give me an envelope once a year. I mean, thank God, I'm not being unappreciative, but I'm trying to help you this morning. 
Ultimately, I'm to be an example. And you say, man, if our pastor can work for the Lord, I can work for the Lord. If he can lead the way, then I can follow. Come on, somebody. I believe, and here's a question I want to ask you concerning this. Is there a direct correlation between people being involved in a local church and that church's ability to effectively reach people in their community? I'm going to try it again. All right? I want your answer when I'm done reading this. All right? Is there a direct correlation between people being involved in a local church and that church's ability to effectively reach people in the community? Their answer is yes, absolutely. And all of that leads to this verse in Hebrews that makes it so plain. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. All the way back in early Bible days, apparently there were those that had the same argument. Well, I love Jesus. I can read my Bible at home. Uh, church is full of people with problems. Can we just take care of that right now? How many of you have problems? All right, look around. Church is full of people that have problems. Come on, somebody. We, we just know where the answer lies, and we're just trying to point each other towards him. Amen? Come on. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. And here's what I find so strange in light of the trends that are happening in America. You'd think in the midst of a worldwide pandemic, in the midst of political tension, in the midst of unrest, you'd think that people who have any spiritual sense would be running to the house of God and saying, man, we need to pray. We need to grow. This is serious. And notice the advice the author says. All the more as you see the day, capital D. What day is that? Jesus coming. You think we're closer to that day than when these words were penned 2,000 years ago? Yeah, you better believe it, friend. You better believe it. Amen. God help us. God help us. Our gatherings are priority. Well, pastor, I'm not coming to church till I don't have to wear a mask anymore. I'm not coming. I'm not going to do it. Listen, I can't wait for the day that I announce we're going to have a mask burning here at Eastern Assembly of God. You know what I mean? It's like... The, the, listen, the, the, the reason that I ask you, or we as a church decided that it's wise to wear masks is because this disease is no joke. It's not a joke. We have people that want to come to church in their 80s. And, and for their sake, we're going we're to endeavor to keep everybody as safe as we can. You understand? Because it's, 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 for, it's not about me or just about you. It's about, it's about us together. You understand? So, so God help us. But, but here's the thing. I've had the privilege of being on, going on many missions trips in different parts of the world. I've been, I've been to South America and I've been to other places where people will go to great means to come to the house of God. I mean, sacrifice means nothing to them because they believe God is honored when they gather. One of the most interesting places that I've been, some of you have been with me, is in the mountains of Honduras. There we are on horseback. This is what the view looks like going up the mountain. We went there for the first time in 2012, and there we found a group of people meeting on the pastor's front yards. They had no building we decided to do something about it, and because of your generosity, this, built, this church was built on the top of that mountain. Now listen, if I were to take you to this mountain and you were begin to look around, you might count five houses that you can see 
across the mountains. But yet when church happens, this is what you see. This was on a Tuesday night. Church was packed. And beyond that, there were many standing outside the windows. People that were just observing. They wanted to know what was going on. Some of the people in that church walked for three hours through the mountains. Three hours through the mountains to get to that church. And if you know anything about Spanish culture, they're not in a hurry once church starts. Sing, testify, sing some more, sing some more, preach, testify, sing some more. And when they're done, hours later, in the dark, and I mean, there are no streetlights on the top of this mountain, friend. There's no electricity. These people in the dark walk three hours home. And there's cats out there, big cats. Get my pick, get my drift. Why? What would make someone walk three hours through the jungle to meet together unless they understand if this brings glory to God and God says it's for my good? I'm doing it. Did you hear what I said? If God says, this is my plan, that in the days prior to my coming. Again, isn't it interesting? We see all this stuff happening around us, yet we also see some believers growing cold. How can it be? But Jesus warned us. And he said, in these last days, don't don't get too complacent. Don't make the things of God a lower priority. Now, Now listen. I'm not telling you you should feel guilty when you go on vacation and you can't be here. You understand? I'm not, I'm not trying to make this so legalistic that I'm keeping track, and if you're not here 50 out of 52, you get an F. It's not, it's, not my, it's not my point. But it, it's, it's going to the other end in today's world. Well, if this isn't going on, and that's not going on, and I don't have this, and I don't have that, I don't have that. I mean, there was a day when people would take a stand. They would just take a stand and say, or they would, they would, with boldness, when they get a new job, say to their boss, man, I would really like to have Sundays off so I can worship. And if you have to work Sundays, make it your prayer that God would give you favor with your company so God could give you the day off. Don't, don't settle. Come on, it should bother you in your spirit. Lord, I want to get to God's house. I want to I wanna prioritize that. Are you listening this morning? Our gatherings are a priority to God. I pray they'd be a priority to you. Would you bow your heads in this place this morning? Come on. Just before we move into our baptismal service. My job is to preach it. It's the Holy Spirit's job to take that word and do in your life what he wills. Would you let him do that whether you're watching online, whether you're in this place today? I'm telling you, there's like a spirit of complacency that, that is trying to land upon Christians' lives today. Just the the spirit of excuses. Well, God doesn't care. and No, friend, there's no way you can read the Bible, Old Testament through New, and not see that God works through his people corporately. That it's to his glory and our benefit to grow together, to reach out together, to move together. Come on, church. And I just want to see God glorified, and I want to see us accomplish every will of God for our, for our church and our community. So, Lord, speak to us today, Father. If there's somebody in this building that, Lord, more so than them being part of a local church, they need to take the first step and open the door to receive Jesus as their own Savior. Make it real to them, Lord. You're alive. You came out of that grave. You rose from the dead. 
And now you knock on their heart's door and say, will you let me in? I want to forgive you. I want to make you a brand new creation in Christ Jesus. Do it, Lord, for your glory. Amen. Before we head into our baptismal services, we're going to do in one minute. Let me just give you a, a, a reminder of what baptism is about. Baptism is like a little role play to help people understand what happens when you're saved. You're going to see people come into the come down there and they're going to be standing there. That represents that once I didn't know the Lord, when I put them into the water, it really represents their death. Death to what? Death to their old way of life. Death to... And when I bring them out of the water, it represents that they are brand new creations in Christ Jesus. Now listen, that's not going to happen today. That happened on the day they got saved. But today we make an outward play of what happened inwardly on that day. Come on, I'm excited. Are you? Amen, Lord. So we just commit this baptism time to you. Be glorified through it. And I'm going to ask all the guys who are getting baptized to please follow me at this time. And if you'll give us three minutes, we'll, I'll meet you upstairs there and we'll begin baptism.